Sarah here. When I am not writing about food, what I like to do is take people around and show them how good the food is in the Twin Cities. One of my most latest adventures was with Adam Sachs. Adam is a, a person I adore. He's extremely funny, very smart, one of the country's best food and travel writers. He used to be the editor of Savor for a bunch of years, and I just got to reconnect with him when he was in town in the good old Minneapolis-St. Paul reporting a big feature for travel and leisure. And while we were palling around, seeing the town, doing all these things, I got to thinking about the fact that he's very good at parachuting into a city, and I kind of want to talk about this. So Adam Sachs is on the show. We're going to talk about how you get to do this travel writing well. Like, how do you get into a city and know it really fast? Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah, You have to trust your parachute. All right. So, Adam Sachs, welcome to the show. We're talking about your travel and leisure uh, thing, but I'm very interested. So you, like, just kind of came into the city's cold, huh? Well, you know that because you know I showed up. Uh, I, we talked a little bit before I arrived, and you gave me some good guidance and intelligence and, and ideas. And then, I, and then, yeah, and then you know I didn't know anything when I showed up. So sometimes not knowing anything can be a helpful uh, position to be in when you're looking to write about a place. Um, and sometimes it, it puts you at an obvious disadvantage. I mean, you, the problem is, as you know, we don't have unlimited time to settle in and get the lay of the land. Uh, magazine budgets aren't what they used to be, and people want you to parachute in and then gather up your parachute and get out of town, you know, four days later. <laughs> uh, so a lot of it is, you know, we rely on the kindness of friends we rely on the kindness of colleagues we rely on the um the intelligence and, and and output of of people sort of covering their hometowns you know now it's as much i think social media as it is uh you know it used to be local bloggers and journalists and national and international uh journalists writing and sort of follow up on what you've read about and come and check it out for yourself but now what's great is you can you know, you can start researching a place really just through Instagram and start looking at places. You know, you're, you're not going to know whether the people posting about it are people whose tastes and opinions you necessarily trust, but you can use your eyes and you can, you know, follow, you can uh, look at a place that you find uh, through Instagram and then check it out on, you know, online and see, you know, run it by people like you that you know. And, and see, so it's just a sort of constant act of kind of triangulation and hoping hoping that you find the right places obviously magazines as you know all want you know new 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 is good and so you, you hit the new places and but i'm kind of two of two minds about it because you can do you know you could do all the research in the world right i mean you can sit down in a library even one of those old-fashioned places <laughs> with the paper books and you can i've been to one they're amazing yeah, yeah they're amazing uh, and then you can read everything about it but then you don't then you're just sort of looking for confirmation of what you've read or you end up with a a laundry list Um, because I feel like a good travel piece has a lot of the author in it. Do you agree with that or you don't agree with that? I absolutely agree in, in my case. I mean, or in the case of people who write sort of stories that, that uh, are like the kinds I I tend to do, not because I prefer them. I just, I, I can't do, I'm not. I don't have an organized enough mind. I don't. I don't do enough preliminary research, and I can't write that, that kind of you know hundred best 
places or the, the, the real kind of roundup places, stories. Those can be great to rely on when you're looking, you know, if I'm going somewhere, if I'm going to Minneapolis or Montreal or Mongolia for a weekend or something, I might just want to read a story that isn't, doesn't have much of the writer in it, but just has, you know, 10 great places to try because then it's just service information. I tend to write uh, because I'm self-indulgent and I'm lucky enough to have editors who allow me to do it sometimes. Stories that have a little bit more of a little bit more story in them, a little bit more narrative arc. And I think what you need for those, I mean, you know this, you do this, but you need a mix of some starting places. Some good, and you don't want to waste a meal, just like you don't want to waste a meal as a normal citizen on a trip because you don't have a lot of time. Uh, by definition, if you're traveling. Um, but then you go from there and you hope that you meet people along the way. You hope that things unravel. You hope that people say things that make you think. And either they send you to another place that, that you wouldn't have known about or they you know, put in context their, their city or their cuisine or their lives in some interesting way that you can kind of piece together into something that turns out to be a story instead of just a, a kind of list of notable places. Well, the yeah, it's complicated because the list of notable places can be helpful and at court can be obstructive, right? So the uh, Minneapolis, I think, is a great example. Uh, I was living here for years before I really understood how much milling, like how much the actual Mississippi River turning mill wheels downtown was informed so much of the city, like how much the river was the heart of the city. And that seemed, when I look back on it, you know, how could I not understand that? But then once you know it, it's not that that relevant for the day-to-day. It doesn't help you with the, you know, the good news. But it might, inform, it might inform certain opinions you have or it's, it's interesting context for, you know, if you're writing about, if you're uh, a critic for the local newspaper or magazine or radio, uh, you know, maybe you're just, yeah, you're looking at what's the new pizza place, what's the new taco joint. Um, but you, your stories become more interesting if you, you know, the greater, uh, depth you have about either the food itself or the people making it or the city itself. I mean, so I think, yeah, ideally, you know, anyone writing one of these stories would have a lot more context, a lot more time. You would both go to the library and, you know, kind of throw yourself into the city and, parachute down into a you know a, a public area and sit on a park bench and wait until someone interesting came along and you talked to you. Um, the danger I think is when you when you're in too much of a rush and you don't have time for for any of it. So all you're doing really is kind of echoing, you know, the the, the standard lists that get churned and returned and the same places show up every time. Well, then there's a there, I know there's a school of thought of people who like to be more naive, you know, who like to kind of keep themselves from knowing too much and just like to kind of show up and feel, you know, just sort of unmediated. I don't know if it's a school of thought that I belong to, but it's definitely a sort of personal uh, failing turned into a professional <laughs> uh, <laughs> approach. I mean, I just, you know, I think it's it's hard. I, I have trouble. I love to travel. I love to eat, obviously. I have, tra- I have trouble reading even, I shouldn't admit this, but even sometimes travel stories, but travel guides in particular or histories of places, until I'm kind of on the plane to that place or I'm, I'm there already. And sometimes what happens is, because it's almost in the abstract, it's hard to get a, a, a feel for it. You just feel like you're reading, you know, a kind of lonely planet 
description of a rough guide description of, of any neighborhood or any historical site. And then you go and, and, you, and, you, and you kind of, you feel some connection to the place and you get curious. And so sometimes it's a bit of a, you know, kind of as it's happening, scramble to realize that you're there now, you're curious, you wish you knew more. You know, you can do a little bit uh, in retrospect when you get home, you can read about the places, you can try to, you know, fit the pieces together. But I think ideally, yeah, you would know that it was, you'd know about the milling, you'd know about the uh, cuisine, you'd know about the history of the city, or, you know, best case, I think, for a writer like me, who is, as you say, parachuting in, uh, you you find the right people. You find your guides. You, know, you find your your rabbis along the way, and and, and get get that intel from them. Yeah, because the big risk, and and we're all mourning Jonathan Gold, still the great uh, Los Angeles yeah. critic, who I slightly cannot get around to believing is gone. Uh, but what, you know, he talked a lot about how people would uh, write about Los Angeles as like always in this cliched way, right? It would always be like right. city of angels, city of crime and glamour, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the the thing about Highs and lows, yeah, contrast. the city of Contra, yeah, and much the, like every other city. Much, yeah, exactly. And the thing about cliche is that it's a very, it's like a very easy groove for your mind to get into. And right. resisting cliche is like very difficult discipline at times. And so I it, yeah. you do the research and sometimes what you come away with with the research is like the cliches. It's like, I'm going to see a bunch a cliche of... cliche for a reason. It's actually true. Um, yeah, you want to, you want to push past that. And certainly, I think you know it's, it's worth talking about. John the Gold is a perfect example of someone who, uh, by nature of being, you know, kind of very invested in a place, in a, in a giant place, in a fascinating place, but a, a place, he was able to, you know, go way deeper and uh, beyond cliche and really explore a city in ways that that you know people weren't sort of conditioned to explore it. I think the problem sometimes, or the the situation for a, a writer coming into a place is that you know sometimes if you're, look if, if I'm if you're sending me to Paris, I sort of want the cliche. I, I want I'm only there for you know a week or two or however long it is. Pointy bread or whatever it is. <laughs> I want I want to live the cliche. I want to feel like I'm in Paris, and I don't necessarily need to know exactly what's changed or what's happening or the most up to date version of the food scene or the cultural scene in the way that I would if I lived there and was looking for direction, you know, to sort of take me away from what I already know, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think Jonathan Gold is a is another good example because I, he would be the first person to say that even though he spent his entire career doing nothing but kind of casting a spotlight on Los Angeles, you can't know it all. There's right. no, right. there's no getting to the, you know, there's no period at the end of that, that exploration. You cannot know all of Los Angeles. But I have now talked to you so much about how to do it and why to do it and the <laughs> concept about it that I had not asked you, what did you think? What did you come away with in your travel and leisure magazine uh, exploration <laughs> of the Twin Cities? What'd you think? I had a great time. I mean, I, it, you know, I have to say it's, it, uh, Embarrassing is the wrong word, but there's slightly, you know, I'm aware that it is slightly funny for a major glossy national travel magazine to come on the scene and sort of declare a big city, two big cities, uh, like the Twin Cities is something, you know, suddenly worthy of our attention. So I was trying not to 
you know, act like I had discovered the place because clearly I hadn't. I'm also, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I travel around a lot, but I'd never been. So it was also, I tried not to make it too much a story of someone who had never been because that's not all that interesting. You know, the point wasn't me travel writer or me food writer. My, my first, uh, impressions of it, I just tried to give a sense of why people were excited about it. Why, why editors at magazines like Travel and Leisure would be, why it'd be on their radar in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been, uh, you know, a few years ago. And a lot of that is the same for any, any American, uh, eating or travel destination is that you need some amount of, you know, you need something happening in the food scene that seems exciting. You need some nice hotels to stay at. You need some cool bars. And it kind of all percolates up into this idea that now this is a place that, you know, if you haven't been, it's a good time to go. All right. Let's take a little pause here for some commercials, and we'll come back on drill down to this whole situation with Adam Sachs coming here for travel and leisure. What what do you think it's going to be in the magazine? It's, you're getting a sneak peek of what, they, what do they think of us now. <laughs> we'll get more when we come back. <laughs> We're back with Adam Sachs. I am, as ever, Dara Moskowitz Grumdahl, Minneapolis-St. Paul restaurant critic and talker about food, tweeter on the Twitter bot, at Dear Dara. You got any questions? Text me uh, or tweet me. Should I text you? or You should tweet me and text me, okay. but okay. not right now. Right now you should not say, right all right, so you came that. into okay. Minneapolis and... People were interested. Travel and Leisure was like, we are very fancy. We send Adam Sachs to get to the bottom of this. And then <laughs> what did... No, your city has arrived. Yes. No, uh, no. We had been in, uh, well, after our Super Bowl, like we were just, we're getting this like left and right. It was like, no, this is what USA Today thinks about us. No, this is what Time <laughs> Magazine thinks about us. Like, so right. we're excited that you've, that the really good glossy wants to think about us. But what did you, what were, what were your impressions? How are we different from, you know, a sharp stick in the eye or whatever? What's <laughs> much, much preferable to a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, you know, this is where we were just talking before the break about. Cliche. So now you are setting me up to fall directly into the trap of cliche. But I mean, I think one of the obvious pleasures of, of coming to the Twin Cities is, is the range of what you can have. You can go and have, uh, you know, Korean uh, influence pizza, and that's really great pizza just on, you know, on its own terms. And then go to the Mong Market, and then you can have uh, southernish barbecue in St. Paul, at, uh, and and you can you know wander around in these. You can have great uh, cheese and fermented stuff at just fermentation, and it it just seems like a very it's what you want is what I want from a, a a dining destination city that there's there's enough that's sort of peculiar and local and feels like it's you're somewhere particular. And there's enough just to sort of make you, you know, you could fill a, a week of eating easily. So, no, I, re- I really enjoyed myself, obviously. Yeah, the the somewhere particular, that is, I feel like, one of the, in the 21st century. We had this, uh, I found it very annoying, barbecue uh, covering the city last year. It was like people had just been reading so many issues <laughs> of Texas Monthly that everyone was like, you know what, we need more brisket. And, right, you right. know, six brisket places popped open and then five closed, you know, but it was for a little right. while. It was like, what are we trying to do here? We're going to be Austin. Like, you know, I'm all happy for Austin, Texas to continue to be Austin, Texas. But like, that's not us. What are we doing? I think it's it's an interesting question. And the, the, the um, you know, the, the, the way you feel about it is different, I think, 
when you put on your your critic or writer hat and uh, uh, different from what, what you would feel just as a diner. I mean, listen, if I'm traveling to Paris to write about, you know, Parisian food, I don't want to go to the taco place. But if I'm living in Paris, maybe, you know, I probably, and I can't make it to a place where there are, you know, there are real tacos, I'd be happy to have one, you know, in my neighborhood. So yeah, the Tex-Mex restaurants bit... of Paris are bizarre. They are just... <laughs> not, not a story I hope to ever have to... Uh, be assigned or investigate, but you know. So yeah, if there's if there's a mini kind of uh, uh, infiltration of uh, of barbecue in in the Twin Cities, maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe it's not the you know you're not Austin as you say, but but if you're living there, maybe it's something you're into, and maybe maybe some of it will stick, and maybe something of how it's done, the context of the way it's done, or the personalities behind it will somehow be uh, local, you know, something, either the, the, you know, the ingredients or the, the approach or just a kind of riffing on in a way that, that is sort of joyously uh, non-authentic will well, create something. That, 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 that did cool exactly way. happen. Like we ended up with, you know, one out of the five, you know, half a dozen stuck around and that, you know, attaches to a person and a passion and it will, right. I think, grow. And the place I'm thinking of is called Q Fanatic spectacular place there's a little one down by uh 62 and 35 where they meet together if you know the twin cities um and so what was what was it that that they what was the local sort of uh take that they found uh i think it just really attaches to a person it's uh the guy who who runs it uh, uh and he has a passion for it and he's you know committed to like making potato chips every day and do you know doing the hard work of getting there you know dawn you know in the in the wee hours of the morning and uh i you know we do have other things like i'm thinking about this great japanese you know zenbox izakaya which is downtown minneapolis and um it's a genuinely you know japanese drinking bar with great ramen but that's because of the owners john and lena and they are just really committed to their Japanese. They're committed to doing that. They they give their heart and soul to the place, and it works. Right. So it's not they're not trying to fuse uh, the cuisines of or the, the ingredients of Minneapolis with, with the Japanese izakaya approach. They're just sort of making their version of it, and it and it pleases you. And I think that's a completely you know that's authentic in that it's people doing stuff they love and, and it shows and I think that, that that's the kind of thing you're definitely looking for as a diner uh, when you live somewhere I think sometimes when you travel you do you know I did find myself asking people sort of what what is a Minneapolis or what is a St. Paul dish or what is a Minneapolis St. Paul feel in a restaurant and that was a little bit elusive but I think that that's true of course I was going to ask you what they said because America. that's been kind of elusive for me for <laughs> You know, sometimes it was, I think, uh, Sammy at uh, Grand Catch when we were having lunch, he, I was asking him if things had changed in the last 10 years, and he was talking about, um, you know, Vietnamese restaurants using, uh, is it, I'm going to mess it up, is it Pike Perch, or what's what's the... Wal- walleye, walleye, yeah. You, this isn't live, you can fix that and just make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's something like that where you're having... Uh, people using ingredients that that would have previously otherwise been used for sort of more, you know, what we think of as Midwestern, maybe you know, Scandinavian influence uh, cuisine, and then they're 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 applying it to the stuff they're cooking, which is which is cool and, and is particular and is 
you know, legitimately sort of a, a, a local thing. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get a sense. I didn't go and eat, you know, some of the things that I think are kind of like the, when the, when the football came to town, maybe people were doing lists of places to go, you know, bars to eat at and, and certain sort of dishes you could get. I, I wasn't trying to sort of do a, a, a roundup of regional specialties. I was just sort of curious to find out if people had a feeling about it. I mean, we, you and I went to, um, Pig ate my pizza. Is that, Pig ate my pizza at Ben yeah. Robinsdale. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's obviously not an Italian place, and it's not a pizza place I think you would find in many other cities. It had, I, I think, through its sort of earnestness and enthusiasm and weirdness, a kind of you know what felt like a very particular thing. I don't know if it's particularly uh, something that you could only find in. Minneapolis-St. Paul, but it felt... Here's it felt, my thesis. I think it is. It's it's because there's a there's a thread that goes through the Twin Cities where we like eccentricity. I'm uh, thinking yeah. about Prince. I'm thinking about Jesse Ventura. I'm <laughs> thinking about, like, you... You're drawing a line between Prince, Jesse Ventura, and Piggy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's something about a Minnesotan that looks at, that, first of all, there's a Minnesotan that just marches to the beat of their own drummer. And then there's something yeah. about the community here that looks at someone marching to the beat of their own drummer and is like, I like it. I'll support yeah. that. And that's one of the We're things I love about that. here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when we were there, people seemed very happy with their with their you know wine spritz pizza and their cloche covered smoke smoked pizza and their you know things that that would make an Italian you know kind of uh, faint but uh, <laughs> but felt very I don't know it felt true to itself in that it was yeah like you said it was definitely marched to a beat of its own drummer and and it was fun to see that it was didn't seem like a cynical crowd or anyone waiting to be impressed people seemed happy people seemed you know amused and and into it yes i think that's uh, <laughs> very accurate all right so i gotta ask you for, for some tips because that would be a shame to let you go without them so if someone is, is listening to this they want to travel like you do they want to be like a a person who goes and comes away from a city with a story comes away with a unique experience well i know you go to other cities (laughs) what do you uh how do you how do you do that i'm going to portland next week so maybe you can give me some tips how can i come out of portland uh, oregon with a a a, you know a, a deeper understanding than i would get just from what i might commonly do I think again, it's, I think it's about this sort of triangulating your your sources and your and your um, you know through Instagram through the magic of hashtags and just sort of seeing what kind of bubbles up. You can you can track down some things that maybe you wouldn't have heard about firsthand from people you know. You talk to you know find chefs who you trust in places. One of the things I have found is that this is not fair as a blanket statement, but it, I think it's true. I think people would admit it if you talk to them about it. Is that chefs? Don't get to the nature of their work is that they are in the kitchen a lot. They don't get to travel that much. Sometimes they don't even get to eat in their city as much as they would. As Sometimes, Sometimes they don't even eat in their own restaurants <laughs> as much as. <laughs> Not that they don't want to. They just don't have time. But, you know, chefs sometimes aren't, I think, uh, as good a kind of guide to cities as we would hope they would be just because they don't have they don't have time to try it as many places. Um, but I think, you know, you you talk to them, see what they've heard about, see where they've been wanting to try. Obviously, if there are writers, bloggers, uh, 
journalists and, and critics in places that you can reach out to and see what they've been reviewing. If you know them, ask them what they're what they're into. And I think you get a sense of, you know, if, when when names of places show up, you know, a lot, uh, you can get a sense that it's worth checking out. If it, and also what what appeals to you. I mean, I think again, if you're any any you know, two people would have different needs coming out of a visit to Portland or St. Paul or anywhere. So if you if you're looking for things that are you know very uh, particular to a place, then I think it's worth pressing and finding those, even if they're sometimes you know they're not the things that people who live there are that interested in. It could be fun to just try a dish. You know, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I've probably had burgoo twice in my life. But if someone was going to Louisville, maybe it's worth seeking it out because you know it's something you can't have if you're from anywhere else. So I think thinking thinking about you know finding out what people are talking about, but also thinking about what you'd like to do. What what, what would you enjoy in a place, and then finding the story there. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna find out. I want to see some of those big trees. That's on my, on my list. <laughs> big so trees? big trees in the ocean. Those are my uh, you know the big <laughs> Pacific rainforest. I haven't spent any time in a place like that in a long time. Okay, this isn't a food story then. Don't eat the trees. I will, and I hear they're soft serve, but that's silly. I'm going to get some, apparently they're very, have advanced uh, soft serve cone shells. That's what really? I hear is happening. New cone technology is new, getting the, the yeah, new, new that, you know, like that freezer, like you dip the cone and then it's hard on the outside of soft serve. Are you familiar oh. with that in your oh, elite no. life? Oh, well. No, I love this, but like. Uh, it's called a shell. The, that's the word I've been gro- yeah, groping magic for. Shell. Magic, like shell. magic shell. Magic shell. But right. it's like an updated magic shell. Yes. This is exciting. I am excited. <laughs> so. See? This is what I do. I just wait around and someone will interview me and give away the secret. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, go pick up the travel and leisure with the Minneapolis-St. Paul story on it. When you, now you know how the how the sausage got made. Adam how Sachs. magic shell is made. Oh, thank you so much. This is just delightful. I love talking to you. Thank and you. Uh, we'll do nice it again. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, when we come back on Off the Menu, I'm going to have some kohlrabi recipes for you. We are back. Yeah, I was talking to Adam Sachs about his story in Travel and Leisure, their August issue. It is on the stands. I love finding out about this stuff. Very interesting. All right, but I also love looking at the farmer's market tables and seeing kohlrabi. So you know kohlrabi, right? It's the big knobby root. It looks like an alien um, I never really saw it before I moved to Minneapolis, but I am a fan now. Uh, if you've never had it, it's a relative of cabbage. It's kind of almost like a jicama or a pear, like an Asian pear, like very crunchy. Uh, there's some science into it. All, there, all of these things that are related to cabbages are extremely healthy um, I thought of doing it for the recipes this week because a friend of mine held up, a, put a picture of it up on Twitter. It was like, what is it? I bought this on a lark. I was like, oh, I know what that is. That's kohlrabi. And you should love it. It's very good. So here are the recipes. They are up at WCCORadio.com, uh, WCCORadio.com slash menu or WCCORadio.com slash Dara. They're all up there. Number five is a kohlrabi and radish Vietnamese-style slaw. So if you grate kohlrabi, you take it, you grate it up on a grater, box grater, 
it just has this really nice crunchy texture. It holds dressing really well. It can kind of substitute in for daikon or something like that, a little bit milder. The recipe that I'm putting up for a, a Vietnamese-style slaw, you know, it's got a little little vinegar, a little cilantro, really good. You can put it on a ham sandwich and make a banh mi substitute pretty easily. That's good. All right, my number four recipe for kohlrabi. It's a cabbage that looks like an alien. Uh, it's a shaved kohlrabi with apple and hazelnuts. So, uh, you know, there's something about it that just goes with that hazelnut flavor just so, so beautifully. Uh, and so that is my other recipe. Another one I got is a Swedish kohlrabi salad with new potatoes and dill. So just about anywhere that cabbage grows, kohlrabi grows. And so, of course, it grows in Sweden. Uh, they like to do it with a dill, of course. Uh, and new potatoes, the little ones, I've seen them all over the farmer's markets right now. And you can you can bring this to a potluck. It's a good, good potluck salad. All right, so what about a bright purple coleslaw? This one with walnuts and kohlrabi. This has caraway seeds, too, so you're going in that kind of German direction. Really delicious. Uh, so that's a purple coleslaw. And then the final thing that I recommend if you're a kohlrabi newbie, never had it before, you're a little bit intimidated, just peel it, cut it into sticks, you know, just crunchy like carrot sticks, just sticks that you can mm, chunk on, crunch on. And then just, do you ever get that uh, that Mexican fruit seasoning they call salsa and polvo or tahine? So it's just kind of, you know, chili pepper, salt, little lime juice powder. Uh, if you can put that on your kohlrabi sticks, maybe serve it with watermelon on the side. That is that is a nice summer day. So that's what I got. Got all our kohlrabi tips. Those are up at WCCORadio.com. Coming back, I will answer your questions. Got anything for me? Ask me anything. You can tweet me at Dear Dara or you can text us 81807. Dara here. We're back. Got a question. Who were we talking to? That was Adam Sachs from Travel and Leisure talking about his Minneapolis-St. Paul story. That's on the stands now. All right. So first question I got is uh, Kathy texted and she wants to know about good ideas for something to bring in the car to cabin it's like a six hour drive they need to feed tons of people and yet no refrigeration oh kathy that is a complicated list of things well i think that uh, you know obviously you probably thought of this already but any anything that's in the cake bread pudding you know, brownie situation, but I think you're looking more in an entree. And if I had to bring in something that didn't get refrigerated, you know what? How about this? Why don't you make a giant muffaletta sandwich? So get a whole loaf of focaccia bread or a couple of them, stuff it full of everything, the hams, the salami, the olive relish, all that good stuff, wrap it up in foil and then it just gets better the, the, if it just kind of sits around. So I think I put sandwiches for 
cabin trip for boat trips and cabin trips on the I'll see if we can get those kind of resurfaced. I put those out a couple of weeks ago and I think any of those would be good. I like um maybe an oil cured tuna sandwich too and a baguette. That gets better. You could do that. A bunch of sandwiches that that get better over time, the kind of fancy ones so people know you're fancy. Ugh, are we out of time? I think we are. Next week, next week, we've got the chef from one of the best French spots in town. That would be Dustin Thompson from St. Genevieve. How do you cook French food that is relevant to the farm-driven, trend-happy Minneapolis of today? We will find out. Till then, may your coleslaw stay crisp and your understanding stay flexible. (laughs) I will see you here next week on Off the Menu.